Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, a frequent guest on our program, Brad Crone. We always like to have Brad's opinions and thoughts because he brings great insight to a lot of issues. Uh, and uh, one of those that uh, has been a continuing problem in North Carolina for some time is the way we address mental health. Now, we're not the only state in the union that is having problems with this, but mental health is uh, certainly an issue that we have seemingly not been able to find a lot of great solutions so far. So what's going on in the General Assembly right now uh, about mental health reform, and, and what do you think about the proposal so far? Well, I will say this. Uh, we have a big problem when it comes to our mental health care delivery system in the state of North Carolina. You see that when we've had a record number of fentanyl deaths in the state, overdose deaths last year. Just the past week, Don, there have been two students at North Carolina State University who have committed suicide. They've had 24 students at the university who have either died by suicide or by overdose, drug overdose with fentanyl. So we clearly see the safety network system that was restructured under Governor Easley all the way back in 2002, 2003. We've got some problems with it. It was groundbreaking um, policy when it was passed, but it's 20 years old and we've got to update it. So you've got some legislators like Donnie Lambeth from Winston-Salem, a former hospital administrator, Wayne Sasser, pharmacist from Stanley County, really taking the lead uh, in the state house on rewriting legislation. And, and the Speaker of the House and the President Pro Tem have said they're going to address it, and they are putting their money where their mouth is. They've dedicated a billion dollars in this session to three key areas. There'd be $225 million allocated for behavioral health services access, making sure that there are more providers at the local level to be able to help people who are facing mental health, behavioral health, and addiction problems. $200 million on building out the statewide behavioral health system. So this means working with the state institutions that stretch from the mountains in, in Morganton and uh, Oxford and Butner and all the way down in Goldsboro at the Cherry Hospital facility and strengthening our statewide health system, working with our health care providers. For example, in Wake County, Wake Med has announced they're building a 150-bed facility that will be behavioral health focused in Garner. That should be online probably within 24 to 36 months. So the state is actively working with the healthcare providers, the hospitals in particular, on looking at additional beds that would be available for inpatient, in-facility in patient care. And then there'd be $50 million dedicated for telehealth programs and having a centralized bed registry uh, so that there can be a ongoing network for, per, for healthcare physicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, nurse practitioners to know where uh, patients could have in-care facility care provided. So 
it, it, it is a billion-dollar overhaul of our state mental health care system. It is due. It is needed. And uh, the legislative leadership and their members who specialize on the health committees are really taking action. So it will be a one-time you know, infusion of cash. And then I think they'll come back and look at the progress that they're making and try and determine if there will be any other uh, sources of revenue and funding that will be necessary as they move forward. This is uh, will be an ongoing issue that the, the state Senate and state health, uh, state house health committees will be working on for the next several years. One other interesting element, the attorney general has uh, sent millions of dollars into local mental health uh, county units on the uh, settlement agreement with the makers of opioids. And so those monies are going into counties like Pasquotank County, down into Macon and Clay County to help local hospitals, to help local mental health county departments, and to help local providers have treatment programs for those who may be addicted to opioids and to help the patient, but also support the family. So the uptake, here's the uptake on the mental health reform. They are making progress. They have a clear cut plan that is going to build up the state's mental health delivery network and the safety net that is out there for our citizens. So it's 20 years in the making, but it, it, it will be real progress and it will truly have an impact on the people and the families who need it the most. Well, it seems like this is the biggest commitment that I've seen in my time to solving this problem, which has been a reoccurring problem in North Carolina. This is pretty much bipartisan also. Is that it not is, correct? It is bipartisan, and you're correct. It is probably the biggest uh, infusion of money into our mental health care delivery system since 1949 when Governor Greg Cherry from Gastonia laid out uh, a statewide network building uh, Broughton Hospital, expanding Dorothea Dix Hospital, and then they opened a hospital in Goldsboro, which is named for the governor, uh, the Cherry Center down there. And Greg Cherry, that was probably the cornerstone of his administration, was really taking on um, the construction of a health care delivery system that focused on behavioral and mental health. And then you remember in 1964, Dan K. Moore's wife, um, who suffered with alcoholism, uh, really made an effort to make sure that we addressed addiction and from alcohol as well as uh, prescription drugs and, and illegal drugs. So those have historically have been the major efforts put forward. And in, 19, in 2003, Armin Hooker uh, Odom, was the Secretary of Health and Human Services under Governor Mike Easley, really led the the restructuring of the local medical entities, the LMEs, which set up a network across the state to provide managed care for behavioral health in the state. And that has been effective, but the state has grown. The demand for uh, mental health and behavioral health care services has grown, and we clearly need an update and and some improvements. And this is a very big step in that direction. 
Moving on to another topic, the credit unions versus the NC Bank legislative debate. Uh, I think there's a House bill what uh, called 412 that uh, addresses some of this. Bring us up to date on what that uh, involves. Well, it, it was an interesting fight, probably still is an interesting fight going over to uh, the out of the state banking committee over to the Senate banking committee. And it's just a dust up. It, it's, you know, who would ever think that the bankers and the credit union uh, suit and tie folks would get in such a dust up over the definition of, of a customer and what a customer base means. And uh, Julia Howard masterfully, uh, you know, you can't, you got to really appreciate her understanding of the legislative process. She's a long-term, probably 30-year legislator from Davie County, from Oxville, and just masterful when it comes to the legislative process. And she's one of the few people in the General Assembly who can look at a broad issue like this and really narrow it down work diligently to try and get the two sides together and then uh, get legislation moved uh, from the House committee down to the House floor. So um, I think both uh, sides aren't happy with it. So that tells me that it's probably a good piece of legislation uh, for, for the people of North Carolina. Now we've got to follow where it goes in the state Senate. When you say a definition of what a a, a customer is, uh, explain that a little bit. Well, the legislation defined uh, who the credit unions could open accounts with. And uh, it it was known as the field of membership. So it defines who would qualify as a potential member of a credit union in the state of North Carolina, whether it's a state employees credit union, the Navy credit union, any of the credit unions doing business in the state of North Carolina. And the tension has been that the banks have to take all comers and that the credit unions can cherry pick the the best customers in the banking environment. And uh, they the bankers wanted a more level playing field when it comes to definition of their field of membership. So it also, there's some tension about uh, the access to banking, whether it's credit unions or actual uh, state banks in rural regions of the state. And that, you know, many of the larger national banks and even some of the regional and local banks have closed branches in um, low population, low wealth areas. And so there's been some concern about that. And, and Julia Howard was working uh, on what is known as a, a banking uh, desert uh, issue, trying to, to provide language in the legislation that will encourage uh, financial institutions not to leave uh, economically challenged areas. You also uh, sent me a note that the Eastern Band of the Cherokees are looking at legalizing cannabis on their on their boundary. Yes, the the uh, big news coming out of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Nation this week, they have allocated almost $63-64 million in uh, nation Cherokee Nation funding to look at a cannabis enterprise. 
And of course, the the eastern band of the Cherokees are, are sovereign land uh, across several counties in western North Carolina, uh, primarily Jackson uh, County and um, I believe Haywood County. Uh, then they, ha- I believe they also have some land probably in Macon and Clay. Uh, but they want to look at at what would legalizing cannabis uh, would look like, and how would you how would you go through the process of doing that? And the reservation that the Indians could not use uh, capital, venture capital, so they're using actual money from the Eastern Band of the Cherokees. So they've been talking about various forms of legalized cannabis. Uh, probably since 2015, and the Tribal Council is, is really saying, we want to look at this. This is an issue that our nation is interested in, our constituents interested in, and I think um, you're going to see movement on that front for sure as um, the Cherokee Nation, Eastern Band of the Cherokees, look at uh, providing legal cannabis within the koala boundary that will raise an interesting question on the uh, rights of the state but uh, you know in the past what i've seen is that state of north carolina and the federal government have been respectful of the sovereign boundaries of the eastern band of the cherokee so they the uh, you know with legalized Casino and gaming, they were the first in the state. They may be the first in the state to actually uh, put together a business plan that would regulate but also open up and legalize marijuana in the state of North Carolina. So uh, they're putting the money. Again, the theme of the show is putting your money where your mouth is, and and they're doing it in this situation. So it'll be an interesting story to watch over the next several weeks, months, and years. Well, uh, thank you very much for that update on that. And uh, in the next segment, our last segment, we're going to talk about the fact that politics is in the air. We're a year away now from primaries, and we will talk about that in the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Brad Crone. First, we're going to take a break for these messages, and we'll be right back thereafter. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. 
Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest, a very good program so far, has been Brad Crone. So you've got uh, one final segment to hold up the standard of the first three segments, which were very good, Brad. You did a good job. (laughs) So we'll see if you can be good for uh, for approximately 12 more minutes. But uh, the political season, I guess, is underway. We have uh, two announced candidates for uh, the Republican nomination and, of course, uh, the Democratic nomination. Uh, is probably already pretty much conceded, uh, at least right now, uh, to Attorney General, uh, to the Attorney General who is off and running, probably also. But let's talk about uh, first of all the uh, the two candidates for the Republican nomination. Both have announced Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, and of course uh, Dale Falwell, our current treasurer. So. Uh, what- Dale Falwell, and it's going to be an interesting match because the biggest challenge, Dale Falwell on paper is the better candidate. But that doesn't always necessarily translate in politics when it comes to primary voters. And the big challenges that Dale Falwell will face in the Republican primary is money and organization. There is no doubt that the lieutenant governor has built a widespread following within the uh, what I would call your super conservative right wing of the Republican Party, Uh, the Trump faction. You can call it that. And that he is he has a well-established base within the Republican Party, and that enables him to uh, tap into money, not only here in North Carolina, but in money across the nation. The lieutenant governor has been very, very smart and strategic in getting out to meet with groups, CPAC, the NRA, and building his uh, alliances with those conservative organizations that can provide small dollar donors as well as very large wells when it comes to uh, providing independent expenditure and large dollar contributions into your campaign. And so the big hurdles that the state treasurer, who has a very good pedigree, a great record of public service and accomplishments as state treasurer, his biggest challenge will be raising the money, $3 million, $4 million in the primary and then building out an organization that can compete. He has that potential, and and that potential is the uh, moderate Main Street wing of the Republican Party. I I contend about 30% are Trumpers, 30% is your Chamber of Commerce crowd, and 30% are fence-sitters. So, Dale Falwell has got to get the the Main Street Chamber of Commerce wing of the party engaged and willing to invest in his campaign if he's going to be successful in that process. The lieutenant governor announced last weekend it really worked to define the race. And, and it was interesting to see the picture that the lieutenant governor painted in portraying himself as a working person 
who has held factory jobs, who have worked as a restaurant manager, who's worked in a Dollar General and has been bankrupt. He knows the struggles that everyday working people in the state of North Carolina have made. And he made that contrast against the sitting attorney general painting Josh Stein as a, an elite, someone who studied at Ivy League schools, who's never understood uh, what it means to work on a factory floor, has never met a payroll, and uh, has never seen a problem he couldn't solve without a tax increase. So uh, Robinson was very elegant in laying out the picture of the race between you know, his, what he sees as his position and what he sees as uh, potentially the Democrat nominee's position, Josh Stein. Interesting enough, Stein tweeted out and then sent some emails out say, <laughs> saying um, that Mark Robinson was too extreme for the state of North Carolina, that his hate speech, in particular when it comes to the LGBT community, is not acceptable. And that hate speech and the the extreme conservative positions that he's taking on on abortion issues and reproductive right issues in the state of North Carolina are out of step with the majority of our citizens and could have an economic impact and hurt our business climate in the state, very similar to what we saw with House Bill 2 back in 2016 and 2017. So the stage is set. The big question, Don, is going to be, Will Attorney General Josh Stein end up with a primary? And it's possible there are a couple of names out, some speculation that the uh, Mike Morgan, a Supreme Court justice, uh, would look at getting into the race. His name has been uh, mentioned. There are a couple others that are very, very preliminary. But will there be a Democratic primary to help strengthen that field? Um if we end up with a Mark Robinson, Josh Stein race, uh, both candidates have very strong basis of support. Early polling conducted by public policy polling has shown the lieutenant governor in a head-to-head -head matchup against the attorney general with a slight lead right now. But it will be a very polarizing race for the state of North Carolina. Could be historic in the sense that we would elect our first African-American governor or we could elect our first Jewish governor if Josh Stein and Mark Robinson are the respected candidates. So another interesting thing that, that I think will be intriguing to watch in the campaign, will what will the campaigns do to track back and to recruit and, and activate your centrist middle of the road, your purple voters, as you said at the top of the show? And will they... Will they lay out a vision for the state of North Carolina? You know, Don, looking at the history of our state, truly great governors in our state have been builders. They've made major investment in the infrastructure of our state that has helped build a social and business fabric that have, have, has led to the success of our state. John Motley Moorhead in the early 1840s laid out the state's infrastructure system by building railroads from Raleigh to, to Gastonia, from Raleigh to Gaston up in Northampton County, from Raleigh to Wilmington, 
and Raleigh to Moorhead City. And that that infrastructure investment in the early 1840s remains intact today pretty much by a surface road system. Cameron Morrison in 1921 was the governor who took over, took, made the state take over all the roads. At that point in time, all roads were maintained by the counties. Several states, for example, Commonwealth of Virginia today it maintains their state system and the county's responsible for it. So in, in 1921, Cameron Morrison, governor from Charlotte, took over the state road system. 1949, Carr Scott had the market uh, farms to market program that really invested money in building out our rural uh, secondary road system across the state. Luther Hodges, former governor, built RTP. And then Jim Martin in 1985 to, to 1993 worked to build a four-lane road system within 10 miles of every single resident in the state. So my point is, truly great governors build things. I want to see the vision from Josh Stein. I want to see the vision from Mark Robinson. What are you going to build for the state of North Carolina? We've not had a governor, a great governor, building things literally since Jim Martin was the governor in 1984. So great governors build infrastructure that lead to economic growth and success of the state. Let's see the vision from the nominees, the, the leading candidates, from Dale Falwell, from Mark Robinson, and from Josh Stein, and any other candidates get in. Tell us your vision for the state of North Carolina. I believe that's going to be paramount. We're probably going to have a turnover. Well, we certainly will have a turnover in the Council of State position because Dale Falwell will be running for governor. What uh, other positions on the Council of State uh, might be up for this uh, this next well, election? You have two leading candidates coming out of the legislature looking at running for state treasurer. Wes Harris, a, an economist from Southern Mecklenburg County, a Democrat, uh, has already announced his campaign. John Bradford, who is chairman of the health committee in the state house from Northern Mecklenburg, from Cornelius and Huntersville, an insurance agent, has announced he's going to be running. So there are two very well qualified candidates right now running for state treasurer. There's also reports that the uh, position for state ag commissioner will be open, that uh, Steve Troxler has seriously considered um, retirement. There's also reports out that Troxler's made phone calls across the state, really looking at the possibility of running for governor. And I don't know how far that has gotten, but it, it signals to me that that Troxler uh, may feel like he's done all he can do in ag agriculture, but he's not ready to hang up the cleats at this point in time. So that could be an open position as well. Another interesting position to watch is what is going to happen in the state auditor's position. Will the incumbent state auditor look at running for re-election again following the fiasco she faced uh, last December and has gone through the judicial process? In the first quarter in the month of March, uh, Beth Wood facing uh, misdemeanor criminal charges for uh, hit and run accident and failing to report the accident. And that has been dramatic to her. Can she 
overcome that? Will she over elect to overcome that in an attempt to seek re-election? So that could be an open seat for sure. Um, it'll be interesting, I think, uh, to look at the insurance commissioner, David Wheeler, a, a Democrat from Spruce Pine, who has been running independent expenditures, primarily going after uh, Republicans up in the 13th, old 13th district, uh, 11th district, uh, with the congressman up there and uh, active in, in the primary, GOP primary, going after Madison Cawthorn. So he, he knows how to raise money, and he is attacking Mike Causey, the Republican uh, Commissioner of Insurance. Causey has signaled that he is definitely going to run for re-election. So that seat for insurance committee, uh, insurance commissioners could certainly be competitive. Brad, our time is running out. This is great uh, and a great insight into what we might be looking forward to for the next year. A reminder that if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. And, of course, we will look forward to our producer having another interesting guest next week. So till next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.